Welcome to the Tanakh Podcast. Today, Shmuel Bet, Perak Dalad, Chapter 4. Violence would breed violence, it would seem. That will be the story of this chapter, or the central bit of the story. Let's read a little bit. The son of Shaul, he's not given his name, but his name is, of course, Ishboshet. We'll talk about that in a minute. Here's that Avner has been assassinated in Hebron. And he, he weakened his resolve. And the whole nation were in shock. Now the question is, after such an assassination, do people come together? What happens? And we read that this assassination breeds another assassination. We read about two people called Rechav and Ba'anar from a place called Be'irot. From the era of Binyamin, and we'll talk about this more in a second. And these uh, people come and they find Ishboshet while he is having his afternoon snooze. He's, in, he's sleeping. They smite him, they kill him, they cut his head off, and they take his head to David, to Hebron. And they say, Here's the man who was your enemy. He's your ardent nemesis. And God is now giving you your vengeance. From Saul and from his children. Let's remember that when you have a new king, frequently what, um, the king assassinates all the other pretenders to the throne. So if you remember the story in Shoftim, uh, chapter 10 of Avimelech. Avimelech kills all of his 70 brothers. We're going to see the same thing in Sefer Malachim. And in Sefer Malachim, when you have a new king, the king uh, Basha kills off all of the line of Yeravam and so forth and so forth. That frequently you don't want anybody from the previous royal house alive. Rechav and Ba'ana, these two assassins who come in in plain daylight because they're trusted, because they are from B'nai Binyamin. They're affiliated, they're even warriors in Ishboshet's army. Come along, murder him in broad daylight, cut off his head and bring it to David and say, Here, these are the vengeances of God. And Vayan David at Rechavet Bana. David says to them, like, It's God who redeems me from all of my troubles. Whoever told me that Shaul had died and he thought that he was giving me great news, I took him and I executed him in Siklag. And even more so, he, was, he didn't even kill the king. The king had fallen on his sword. But even more, you evil people who kill a righteous man in his house, in his own bed. I will demand his blood from your hands. And I will uproot you. I will destroy you. That's a strong biblical word. Um, and David instructs the men to uh, kill them and they are executed and 
their bodies are hung up over the pool in Hebron, and Ishboshet is given a royal funeral. So I think if I had to say the most important thing about this chapter, it's that now for the third time, David has to emphasize, he's, this is clearly so counter-cultural for, for the world of royalty. David has to put his foot down and say, I don't want to rise to the throne in a bloodbath. I don't want to come to position of power through assassinations and through executing my enemies. Instead, I want to come because I'm accepted by the people. I want to come in a spirit of peace. Last time we saw over and over the word Beshalom. That's what David wants. And that is what we're being emphasized. And it comes up three times here. In our very next chapter, chapter five, David will be crowned over all Israel as king. But the beginning of Shmuel, as Shaul is already dead and David is rising to the throne, we see three stories of people who think that the road, the path to royalty is through eliminating your enemies. And David has to emphasize and say for Shmuel is clearly driving home the message. This is not the political culture that we want in Israel. That said, let me deal with two interesting little ditties or small bits which relate to our, our, our Perak. Uh, number one, Ishboshet. What a strange name. And we're going to see that uh, does Shaul really name his son Man of Disgrace, Ishboshet, Man of Embarrassment. And we're going to see, as we see here in our, in our chapter, a second son who is called Murphy Boshet. Murphy Boshet uh, had an accident as a child and became uh, uh, became handicapped. And his name is Murphy Boshet. Did Shaul really call two of his sons with the word Boshet? Hmm, that would seem strange. Well, when you look at Divrehe Yamim, you will see the sons of Shaul, and it says, Shaul holidit Yonatan vet Malkishua vet Abinadab vet Esh Baal. Hmm, that's different. Not Ish Boshet, but Esh Baal. And many people think that Baal means the notion of majesty. Um, so fire, magi- fire of majesty. Now that's a royal name, Esh Baal. And in fact, in the um, archaeology of Chirbet Kayafa, Chirbet Kayafa near uh, Emekaila, um, a very interesting archaeological site. They found a piece of pottery with the name on it, Eshbaal, and this is a place which seems to date to the time of Shaul. So this would be beautiful. I don't mean that this person, Eshbaal, is is the Eshbaal uh, of Shaul, but maybe the name was popular at the time. Um, now, in the course of time, it would seem, so academics tell us, since the name Baal became so associated with Abu Zarah, the name Eshbaal became illegitimate. So, um, you know, if we can imagine a word which sort of rings so negatively, uh, I'll give you an example. There was a Holocaust survivor and a huge Talmud Chacham and professor of of uh, of Talmud called David Weisselivni. Um, he was a Holocaust survivor and he'd gone through the Holocaust as a teenager. And he said that his name was Weiss, but when he heard the name Weiss, he made him think of one of the commandants in one of the concentration camps. And he didn't want the name, so he changed the name to Halivni. So after the after the Shoah, when he made it to America, when he made it to New York, he became known as David Halivni. Later on, people said Weiss, uh, David Weiss Halivni. But the point is, he didn't want the Weiss in his name. The same thing. The authors, authors of the book of uh, Shmuel do not want the word Baal in the book. Baal is a big problem. And therefore, what you're going to call 
Shaul's son Ish Baal, and in fact they, they do even more than that. They they make fun of it. They call it Ish Boshet. Ish turns to Ish, Baal turns to Boshet. Some people say the same thing with the name of Izevel, Jezebel. That her name wasn't Izevel with the word Zevel in her name, garbage or manure. Her name was actually Bat Zvul, daughter of majesty. But they changed her name in the Tanakh to Izevel uh, in order to mock uh, idolatry. And there is this tradition in Judaism of not pronouncing the names, that you shouldn't mention the names of other gods on your mouth. And then that would be, you know, fascinating. And this maybe explains the name uh, Ishbaal and Ishboshet. The second topic I'd like to address is the uh, notion of Be'irot. And we hear about these two people, Shnei Anashim, Shnei Gdudim, two officers of Shaul's army, Rechav and Ba'ana, B'nei Rimon HaBe'iroti, who were the sons of Rimon Be'iroti, Kigam Be'iroti Chashevel Binyamin, because also Be'irot is part of Binyamin. And then it also tells us, Pasuk Gimel, Vayvrachu HaBe'irotim Gataima. And the people from Be'irot ran away to Gat. Vayusham Garim Ad and they lived there till now. What is the story of Beirut, and why would people from Beirut want to kill Shaul? Well, the answer you will find in chapter 21 of Shmuel Bet. Because there we, it's an awful story there, but I'll just mention that there we read about how Shaul actually, actually executed and he persecuted the people of Beirut. Um, and it says here, that that Shaul tried to execute the people from Beirot in his zealousness for Bnei Israel and Yehuda. So what's the story here? The story is that the people of Beirot are from those Givonim, those people who tricked Bnei Israel, and Bnei Israel made an oath to them. People from Givon, Beirot, Kiryat Ya'arim. They weren't Jewish. They were living in the area of Binyamin. They lied to the children of Israel in the time of Joshua. And the children of Israel swore to them in the name of God that they would protect them. And they honored their oath. So why did Shaul, in his zealousness for God, want to get rid of them? Well, remember, Shaul is the king. And his uh, his uh, tribal territory is that of Binyamin. Does it seem right for the king around his own royal town to have all sorts of muvlaot, uh, all sorts of like pockets of non-Jewish nations. And it seems like Shaul made it uncomfortable for them to live there. So much so that as we're told in our chapter, they all had to, they were sort of exiled, they were persecuted, and they all ended up moving to the area of the Philistines. Shaul literally drove them out of the country. It seems like Rechav and Ba'ana belong. They were non-Jews from the Gibonim who were drafted into Shaul's army because they were great warriors. And their families have been sort of expelled. Their families have been driven out of the country. And now they will get their vengeance. So it's interesting that they talk about vengeance because they have a vendetta against Shaul. And as I heard um, once from Rav Benny Lau, um, here we see how severe it is when you abrogate an oath to a minority population. If Bnei Israel swore in the name of God that they would look after these people, but Shaul did not keep that promise to the Givonim, now we see the comeuppance 
Um, now we see that Shaul's own son is going to pay the price for Shaul's actions, for Shaul abrogating that oath to the people of Beirut. Thank you for listening. More tomorrow. Lehitraot.